Ireland for a boost number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it! 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal! A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Cavanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen this one. In over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that? Off the podium time, you are listening to it, that's why you're listening to my voice as we uh, get ready to get the last one out of the vault in our vault series of interviews that we're bringing you with Olympians and people involved with the Olympics throughout our parent show, The Brinks History. And this is the last one that we did, uh, David Morris, uh, Australian aerial skiist and silver medalist, won the silver medal in the Sochi Olympics in the men's aerials. And somebody we've talked up a little bit uh, over the years, uh, well, over the episodes, <laughs> we haven't really been around for a year, um, and somebody that, you know, mentioned recently in our Zali Stegel interview, and uh, again, somebody who just really came out of nowhere to win the medal in Sochi, and was such a great uh great moment for Australia and David is just such a nice guy and you'll hear this in this interview a bit of a background is that I actually just reached out to him on Facebook probably only about two or three months after Sochi it might have even been sooner than that and uh, basically agreed to the interview straight away. We did the interview and, and you know, Bob's your uncle. And I guess if this was a Canadian athlete, winter athlete, it probably wouldn't happen. No no difference to why I couldn't exactly just, you know, message a swimmer after winning gold or a silver in, in Rio to get him on the show that soon. But uh, a fun chat, such a great guy and uh, somebody that uh, definitely I know that I'll be rooting for hard next year when it comes to Pyeongchang. But uh, let's listen to my chat with David Morris on 2014 from The Brink. <laughs> David Morris is a two-time Olympian in the sport of freestyle aerials, and earlier this year in Sochi, he became the first ever Australian male to win a medal in the sport. I spoke to David about just how amazing it was to win that medal, whether or not he's actually taken the medal off since he won it, and just what perks he can try and get by wearing that medal into certain shops. David, welcome to the Brink and Edge Radio. Thank you very much for having me. It's a massive pleasure, mate. I mean, things have obviously been a bit of a whirlwind for you uh, in the last few months, as I suppose it's been an interesting journey. I mean, for or five months ago, not many people in Australia had heard of you, and now everybody's talking about you. It must be a lot of fun. Yeah, I just sort of went you know, under the radar leading up into the games and stuff, didn't want the extra pressure, and then, obviously, you know, I met all the great, I wasn't expecting it, but I wasn't so super surprised either, but afterwards, everything just went kind of crazy. It's been just super intense since then. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. I mean, did it sort of surprise you when you got back at the, the, the reception that you have sort of been getting? I mean, I've been looking at your social media and a lot of people very excited to meet you, a lot of the engagement from the fans on Facebook and Twitter. It's sort of been incredible. Yeah, it was actually, it was a surprise. Um, You know, we don't have the... We didn't have a TV over there to sort of see what was going on. So when I came back and it seemed like there was a lot of hype over the Winter Olympics, which is is a surprise in its own. It's not as popular here as it is in other countries, fair enough. You know, we're a summer nation and things. But um, we came back and there was all this exposure and people sort of knew who I was and could walk down. Okay, I couldn't quite walk down the street and be recognized, <laughs> but the occasional person would. So, um, no, but it was really good. It was a very positive response by 
the media and just everyone. So it was, it was a privilege to be part of that. Mm, I, I remember actually the morning uh, when it had happened, uh, we were on air and we were sort of going through the results and we'd noticed that you'd won this medal. And it, it, I think a lot of people sort of weren't expecting it. I mean, you mentioned uh, before that kind of there wasn't a whole lot of pressure going into you in the games, unlike some of our other athletes. Did that sort of help you with your preparation for the event that you didn't have this sort of weight on your shoulders that you were expected to win a medal? Yeah, I um, purposely didn't really talk to the media about my expectations going in because it does add an external pressure that you just don't really need when you're just there to concentrate on your job. I sort of just said, look, I'm just going to do my jumps and see what happens. But realistically, in my head, I was expecting a sort of a top five and my team was expecting that sort of result from me. So we got it and it wasn't a surprise to us because we've known, you know, we know we've put in the work for the last 12 years to sort of get to this, but people tune in every four years to watch the Olympics and they haven't heard of us before so they suddenly see a result and someone who hasn't talked themselves up and it seems like a surprise and I'm happy to ride the surprise wave because it comes off very well but in the end it wasn't a surprise to us that we did very well it's what we've been training to do for a very long time and how did you actually get involved in, in the sport I mean as you mentioned winter sports not exactly huge in Australia was it something that happened by accident uh, I was just doing some flips in my gym one day I was about 19 years old so it's actually sort of relatively old uh, to start the sport and Kirsty Marshall came in and she was um, an ex-Olympian in the sport and she noticed me doing my flips and offered to train me out at uh, Lilydale, which is near my house. It's our, you know, Australia's best training facility into a leech-infested pond and <laughs> she said, hey, would you like to be the only boy on the team? I'll train you for free. So I just happened to meet her on the right day at the right time and she introduced me to the right people. So it was just by chance that I got started in the sport. I wouldn't have pursued it otherwise, never heard of it and it turned out pretty well. Wow, that's that's an amazing thing to sort of think that. Kirsty Marshall, huge champion in, in the sport of aerials, um, sort of, you know, multiple Olympics and everything yeah. along those lines. We've had such success in uh, women's aerials across the years with, with Lydia and, and Alyssa across, across the years. So, I mean, to be that first male in the sport for Australia, I mean, that must be a huge honour to get that medal. It really was. Um, obviously, you know, an Olympic medal, it's a pinnacle of our sport and it's just a privilege to have an Olympic medal altogether that be... To be the only boy on the team to achieve that as like, you know, the one possibility in men's aerials to get a medal and I managed to do it. That was an absolute privilege and it blew everyone's minds. It was great. You know, we have trained for it, but it just sort of just proved to us and everyone that the work was worth it and a lot of people have put in so much time and effort into me and it's a bit hard to have, you know, just one boy on the team. So it just showed that, you know, it was worth all their time and um, I let everyone know that you know they've put in so much work for me and I appreciate it from the very start because a lot of people have helped me out from the start. It wasn't always easy, but I found the right people to help me out throughout the whole thing and I um, wrote everyone a little email afterwards saying, you know, thank you very much for supporting me, believing in me since day one and look what we got. Fantastic, fantastic. Have you had many people come up to you since the, the medal win and say, hey, I, I really want to get into aerials now after seeing you in Sochi? I think we actually have two boys who are just starting... Um, trampolining as part of the sort of winter teams now, which has never happened before. So I'd like to, you know, claim it for myself. I've pioneered this just a little bit and it might be starting to allow some boys to start or at least look at that sort of as a, as a possibility. So that's actually what I've been trying to do for a long time is just initiate a small men's program or something to sort of, you know, start some foundation in that. So they might have done that 
already, which is great because that's what I've been trying to do for many, many years. Mm, it seems that every year, when, well, every four years, I should say, when the um, the Winter Olympics are on, Australia's team grows and grows in all the, the various categories uh, that there are in the Winter Olympics. And uh, given now that we sort of have the success on your side, if we can get those people in to, to men's aerials, that obviously then brings a question about things like funding yeah. for uh, the sports uh, facilities. I noticed on your Twitter that the only ramp uh, in Australia for you guys broke about a week ago now. So, I mean, this is obviously bringing into question now Where's the funding for the winter sports? I can imagine. Yeah, um, that's it. And the funding is a very tricky question. I, I'm not going to claim that I know a lot, all, everything about it. Um, our aerial team definitely gets the funding that we need. Um, we're, like, we're supported very well through the government. You do have to sort of earn the privileges. So the, the more results you get, the more you get paid for. So like I have coaches paid for and training paid for. And then as you get further and further up in the rankings, like last year I finished number two overall in the world. So I get the flights to the competitions and things paid for now, which is obviously very handy for me because then I can just concentrate on that stuff. But um, there are other things that we need, like a nice training facility because we really just don't have one adequate for, you know, World Cup-level competitions. Um, and But there are a lot of other sports within the winter teams that don't have the same funding as we do. So, you know, we always like to complain about what we don't have. But if, I, if we look at the whole picture, and especially for me, I get what I need. There's other things that we could have which could be very helpful, but there's also other teams that don't get the same sort of privileges as we do that need probably more than we do at the same time. So it's a, it's a toss-up between, you know, who do, who do people give the funding to? Because the aerial team, we're one of the most successful winter teams that we have. We, you know, we got two medals at these Olympics. Um, we do get the results, so we do sort of burn the additional funding. So I can see how other people think that's unfair, but... You know, unfortunately, we're sort of just a number on the page for some, you know, in the government, and they give uh, money to the statistics sort of thing. So we do what we can. We ask for what we can get, but... um end of the day it's up to other people where the funding goes we just take what we get yeah well I mean five out of Australia's 12 winter Olympic medals in our history have come from aerials so uh, yeah, I think pretty well yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's pretty much 50% one thing that, that fascinates me with the winter Olympics is that uh, going into it there was all this expectation on so many people and then when the results don't necessarily come people are quick to blame but I mean I sort of grew up David watching the winter Olympics and the days that Zali Steger would get a bronze and she was treated like a queen it was amazing that we could win one bronze and now these expectations you know do you think they're maybe a little bit too high that we haven't sort of achieved that level that australia can sort of win as many as we maybe expect um i yes and no um the problem with uh winter sports i think it's just a just little a misunderstanding that when people watch the winter sports they expect that the best people can win on the day and it's unfortunately not like um this has been you know just my opinion uh some of sports to me like if you're the fastest runner you're probably going to win. If you're the fittest swimmer, you can make the long distance like you win. But in winter sports, you can make the smallest mistake and crash out in that scene of your race. It's so cutthroat and anything can happen on any given day. And us as athletes, and I guess since you've followed winter sports, you understand that anything can happen and you can't sort of rely on just the best person of the day winning every time because that's just not how it works. And we get used to that on a weekly basis. But when people watch the Olympics and they sort of expect the same sort of thing as in summer sports, like, oh, this person's meant to win. Yeah, they are meant to win. They're probably good enough to win. But if you get just unlucky on the day because of the weather conditions, that can change everything. So I understand why the expectations are high, but realistically for winter sports, you just can't look at it that way. And we've accepted that as athletes, that you can be the best in the world and come last. Like in the aerials and the men, 
the world number one actually did come last on the day because he had a bad day. Yeah. And that's just unfortunate. Yeah, and that's what I absolutely personally love about the Winter Olympics. I like them more than the Summer Games because it, it fascinates me. It's entertaining. I mean, there's a sport set as Australians we're not used to, to seeing. And, uh, I mean, case in point with you, you're in that final four um, you know, 75% chance of a medal. You've had your jump. And in a way, you kind of got to hope for people to, to sort of muck up, don't you, in order to win that medal? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a tricky place to be in because um, I'm actually very good friends with all the guys I compete against. So I was up, you know, I landed my jump and I was just like, oh, I really hope you guys get what you deserve. But I, don't, I wouldn't mind if you want, you know, put a hand down or have a lie <laughs> down on the hill. That's totally fine as long as you don't injure yourself. So, you know, when uh, Anton, who won the medal, when he landed, I was, pr- I was disappointed for me for a second because that was the gold medal goal. But he absolutely earned the gold, um, and then the two other guys from China crashed, and I was disappointed for them personally as my friends. But you know, I was just a little bit more happy for me. So it's a <laughs> tricky situation. But then, of course, everyone watches and goes, "Oh, you know, Dave came second. He's so good." And but in you know reality, I just had a very good day that day. It wasn't purely luck, and it wasn't purely skill. It was a good combination of both. Like I was trained enough to land my jumps perfectly and make the right decisions and we planned how the competition would go out six months ahead. But you do have to get a little bit lucky on the day with a couple of people crashing, but people suddenly went, oh, Dave's really good. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I am good, but don't judge my whole career off this one day that you watched. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I remember going back uh, in time to when Stephen Bradbury won the gold, for example. Many people called it lucky, but yeah, I mean, I can, we've had I can Stephen on exactly. Yeah, I mean, we had him on the show, I've read his autobiography, and it's sort of, you know, the lead up to that, um, you know, day as well. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's fascinating. And it's also amazing to see, David, since you've got that medal placed around your neck, to me, it seems like you've never taken it off. I mean, have you, have you, ta- have you taken it off at all, David? Yeah, it's, it, it's always within sort of, you know, a 10 metre radius of where I am. And people are like, oh, did you bring it? I'm like, funnily enough, it's in my pocket. <laughs> um, no, it's great. I do love it. And I like I like people to feel like they're a part of it and hold it and have a look at it because I get a lot out of that. So, and I say it when I talk to kids. I'm like, look, you know, I won this on the day. This is this is great. I get to keep this medal, but it's worth 12 years of effort. And I like people to sort of get into that and realize that it's more than just one day. And they hold it and they're like, oh wow, you know, I was up watching and I talked to my friends and we talked about this the next day. And these are people I've never met before and I've managed to have an impact on people. I've never met and that's really important to me so I like it when people want to hold it and want to feel like they're a little bit a part of it because in the, in the end they sort of are like I'm representing Australia I'm representing everyone whether they like it or not you know through how we show ourselves on the, on the TV and stuff so people who want to be a part of it I'm all for it. Well, if I ever won an Olympic medal, I would literally never take it off. I oh, just, I wouldn't care yeah. what colour it was. <laughs> I'll just get it fused into my chest like Iron Man. Yes. <laughs> hey, there's a, there's a superhero in there somewhere, I think. Uh, That's right, yeah. The, the honour as well continues sort of representing the nation, as you are mentioning there, uh, carrying the flag out there into the closing ceremony. Was that kind of, how was the thrill factor compared to getting that medal around your neck? Can you compare the two? Was one better than the other? Um, well, I would say, well, it is tricky, because the medal was such a long process in the making. Um, but having the honor of carrying the flag was, you know, I was chosen out of the whole team to represent everyone for how I you know, conducted myself for my results. And it's another moment that you just, you don't really get to do. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Maybe I get to do it again if I'm lucky, but um, the medal, that all happened so quickly and it was so intense, but the flag ceremony carrying in, I really took my time and sort of absorbed everything. So that was sort of nicer that I could really enjoy the moment knowing that it was coming and understand the significance of it. Whereas the medal was like, boom, I won. Oh, my gosh, here's all these crazy things happening. So it happened so quickly. 
Um, they're very different, but they were both they were both amazing in moments that I will absolutely never forget. Do you get to bump shoulders in with a lot of the other sort of athletes carrying their nation's flag? Anyone cool that you got to chat to along the way? Oh, there, you know, a couple of gold medalists beside me. I was like, hey, do you want to swap? I like your colour more. And they're like, I like the silver <laughs> colour more. I was like, if you want to just swap them over, that's fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, everyone, everyone there is an amazing athlete and, you know, the results, unfortunately, like we're saying, for winter sports, the best person on the day might not win. So there's a lot of results that sort of go unnoticed, but the effort that everyone put, even just to get into the Olympics, is absolutely outstanding. It's just it doesn't show on the in the newspapers at the end of the day. Some people came like 10th, but that's the best result they've ever got in their whole life, and they did it at the Olympics. It's fantastic. So you walk past everyone in the village who's just amazing at something, and yeah, for sure, all the flag bearers were exceptional athletes, but... We're just one big group of people who are standing for something that's bigger than us individually, like the Olympics. I finally realized after all this time how important it is to be a part of that. It's, you know, sport unites people together. Everyone around the world tunes in to watch and all these problems that we have just can sort of be pushed aside for a little bit because you just sport just brings everyone to cheer and cry for, you know, one team, even if they're not yours. And it's just, it's such a powerful tool and to be a part of that's really important. And I finally realized that after many years, that I have the power to sort of influence people's decisions a little bit and say the right things and promote, you know, sportsmanship and leadership and the right morals and things. It's, it's just huge. Mm, and a very unique club too that I can imagine is an amazing feeling. Now, I want to wrap up, David, and set with our final five. But just before I get to those, uh, training for you, I mean, given that uh, you've sort of come back now, you've, you've been doing everything that you've been doing, is training something you've started again? When do you sort of get back into actually competing again? Uh, I technically never stop training, so... Um it's one of the, it's like, it's a job, um, except so when I'm home and relaxing, I'm technically just recovering for our next session, wherever that may be. I have been on the trampoline, I've been doing lots of running, I'm starting to get back into the gym just to sort of make sure I'm fit enough for when I do decide to start again. I'm just taking a little bit of time off at the moment just to let the body recover because I've been wearing it down for two years, basically, so I want to wake up one morning, just really want to return to the sport because at the moment, I'm just, I need to find the motivation to you know, set myself another four years because it is a long time. If you ask anyone, what are you doing in four years? They don't know. I don't know either and I don't know if my body will hold up. So the morning that I wake up and I decide I'm ready to go back, I'll head straight back into it and it'll be great. I, I hope it happens. I really want it to. And I'll just, you know, I'll train, train for the next Olympics and try and get a gold medal next time because now I know I'm capable. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I was going to say, that's probably the question most people are asking you. Are you going to Korea in uh, 2018? But so my official answer is yes, I'm going there. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the day where I'm motivated to start it properly. There you go. There you go. I can imagine that the season, um, I mean, coming into the Southern Hemisphere is winter at the moment uh, as opposed to Northern Hemisphere. I mean, uh, uh, when does sort of the actual proper season start again? Does that happen later in the year? Are we the actual, yeah, So we're all, you know, all uh, Northern Hemisphere seasons. So that's usually December that we, or November, December, we head over to Finland for training and then start following the World Cup around usually about now within the next month or so we head over to the US to train for in their summer and we train off a water ramp right off a plastic ramp into water so we spend four months over there training in their summer come back here for a little break and then head back over again for the winter so we're not home very often so our season even though the winter's actually quite short we're ten, we're traveling all the time and training most of the year 10 months of the year wow so you're either getting wet or uh, getting wet with cold snow <laughs> yeah pretty much it's either warm and you're soaking or you're trying to keep warm while your toes are freezing off it's <laughs> not the best. Sometimes I wonder why I didn't take up sprinting or something. <laughs> oh, well, you never know. Uh, that could be something that you could look at. I don't know. Uh, final set of questions for you, David. I know these are very fun, uh, easy way to e- uh, end the interview. Starting off with question number
number one. What is your favourite type of cheese? My favourite type of cheese? <laughs> I would say, oh, Swiss cheese. I can just eat it on its own. Yes, yes. Now, uh, are you sort of when you go to like a Subway and they try and force the cheddar down your throat, are you straight away like, nut? Nah, give me some Swiss, none of that cheddar rubbish? Pretty much. <laughs> like, excuse me, give him, give him my choice. I get to choose everything else. I'm going to choose my yes. cheese as well. It kind of does, makes the whole sandwich. Yeah, well, they're very forceful now, I've found, actually, when they straight away just say, cheddar cheese okay? It's like, no, it's not okay. I want my Swiss. Just like, is Monopoly money okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should try that next time. That might work. Uh, yes, it, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to toilet paper, are you a fold? Or a scruncher? Oh, a scruncher. Scruncher. No hesitation. Got there. things to do. No, no time to be, you know, careful. I'm like, I'm. Don't want to stay in there all day. I want to get out and get on with my life. I just get it done. You're in and out. You got to go out and win Olympic medals. Come training, on. Training. Uh, growing up, what was your dream job? Dream job. Uh, originally, I wanted to be a vet. Mm-hmm. Then it sort of turned to being a pilot, and then I realised I had to really study for those quite hard, and then it sort of they went out the window, and it <laughs> ends up being. A teacher, not that that's any worse, but it's like, you know, teacher, I like that, but wasn't prepared to study that hard to become a pilot. So right. that would have been my original one. You know, maybe an astronaut, that's quite out there. But yeah. Well, you fly, kind of, you go up high and Yeah, stuff. I'm not in control of it, and I want the plane to leave, and I have to wait for them to do it for me, so I'd rather <laughs> be doing it myself. Yes, yes. Uh, also growing up, who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, that's a, oh, that is a good question. Would have been, let me think. Probably like Christina Aguilera. Ah, yes. And now it's moved to Mila Kunis. Oh ah, my yes, yes, indeed. She's um she's on everybody's list at the moment. I feel. Um, Sorry, everyone. Silver medal. I always get priority. <laughs> yeah. I can step back in line. <laughs> yes. Well, look. I tell you what. You get you get her, and then you hook me up with Natalie Portman after seeing them in Black Swan together. I'm set. So. <laughs> okay, we can make a deal. You call your people. I call my people. Set it out. Done. Done. It will work very well. Uh, final question for you today, David Morris. What is your worst habit? My worst habit, uh, probably not being able to sit still or stand still when I need to. Right. Like right now I'm talking to you, I'm pacing around my house. <laughs> I literally cannot stay in one spot. When I'm interviewed, I feel like I want to move around. People have to follow me. I just can't sit still. I have to be fidgeting or doing something and it leads to like nail biting or I have to eat because I just have to be moving at all times. It's quite frustrating for me and everyone else around me. <laughs> I could actually see that as being a fun sort of interview, like pacing around with you with the microphone. It's sort of, you know... Yes, all right, let's go skiing while we're talking. Please keep up. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you could become the first ever aerial skier to maybe be interviewed mid-air. Uh, I don't know how that would work, but... It'd be a very quick three-second interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm studio skiing landing. Okay, done. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might, might not work, uh, perhaps what we're thinking of, but uh, they can work some something out. Uh, David, yeah. pleasure. Of course, people can check out uh, more on you, of course. Aerialskier.com is your blog. Follow you on Twitter, Aerial Skier, and on Facebook at Oz Aerial Skier, and it's always fun. Yeah, sort I of... just own the Aerial Skier all over the internet. You do. Get it out Claimed there. It. Yes, exactly. You're the only one out there that people need to care That's about. That's right. I mean, you can care about the others, but look, pretty important. I have a medal now. <laughs> you can believe what I'm talking about. Like, kids now, they suddenly listen to me. Yes. I'm like, I've told you the same things last year, but now I'm wearing this now you pay attention. Great. <laughs> That's what you should do in Subway, actually. Walk in there with the silver yeah. medal, and then maybe <laughs> they'll ask oh, you for what Swiss. What would you like, sir? <laughs> yes. <laughs> None of this cheddar garbage. You're an Olympic medalist. Uh, <laughs> best of luck, mate. Hopefully we'll get you on before uh, Korea when I know you're going to go on and win gold. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, best of luck for everything that comes your way in the future. Thank you very much.
can say that uh, David did win bronze in the uh, recent World Championships in 2017. So heading into uh, Pyeongchang next year, good lead up. And we, we hope that he can go one better. Hey, silver's a nice colour, but, you know, clearly he wants gold and we're going to be rooting for him. Lots of lots of exciting things to happen with Australian Winter Olympians and uh, we've got less than 12 months now to see how they go. So bring them Korea 2018 and we're going to keep an eye on them. You're going to keep an eye on off the podium because while the vault is now closed in terms of the interviews that we can bring you, we're still going to bring you other stuff because that's what we do here on Off the Podium. We like to bring you content, the interviews, other episodes, plenty of things still happening that we're planning and we're hoping to bring you. So stay tuned for that. iTunes, subscribe to us on there. You leave us feedback. You can rate us. You can like us on Facebook. You can do all that and you can feel satisfied with yourself because you've done something good. So please go and do that because, again, as you often hear from my voice, we need it because we don't feel loved. But we are loved because you're listening to us right now. I'm a contradiction. Just sometimes just really don't listen to me. That's why I'm going to end this episode right now off the podium. Thank you for your time. We're going to speak to you soon and we appreciate your company. Good night.